0: Well, thank you. That's quite kind of you. <laughs> One last thing that I wanted to share with you guys was something special that uh, uh, your staff got to do this last week. I'm hopefully, hoping, uh, beyond all hopes, that this is the beginning of uh, a, uh, a lifelong tradition, if you will, for all of us. But uh, we got to go away for a couple days. Uh, Camp Ileana was kind enough to host us. And so uh, as a staff, we, we got to go down with our spouses and uh, hang out for, for two and a half days, two, day and a half, two days, whatever, something like that, um, and just spend the weekend together, uh, getting to know one another first and foremost, spending some time in prayer with one another, and talking about you. Not in a bad way. <laughs> talking about you, talking about the body of Christ. Uh, one of the things that um, you may or may not realize, uh, but one of the realities that, that I shared with them was, Uh, God gave us this privilege, this awesome, incredible privilege, but it is also an awesome and incredible responsibility. This reality that that he's given us the opportunity to to shepherd, to guide, to lead, to love his bride on this earth. And, And if you really, as a pastor, start to think about that deeply, you should probably quit. Because it's a deep, deep, deep responsibility that he's called us to, and we need to treat it as such. And so uh, you're going to get to see a lot of the things, the ideas, the vision, the, the, the plots, the plans, the things that, that we came up together as a staff. You're going to see that begin to emerge throughout this new calendar year, and we hope to be able to do that each and every year as a staff. Get away and just spend time in the Word, spend time with one another, spend time thinking about what direction God is sending us. So I want to let you know uh, that we had did that. That's an important, important thing, um, and uh, you're going to hear references to that. You'll, you'll probably hear some stories from that over time, um, because there was some humor involved, obviously, as well with that weekend. So so just just keep that in mind. Thank you um, for that opportunity to go and to do that, and to Camp Ileana for putting us up for free um, for our, our time down there. So, uh, man, it, it is great. Are we ready to get started? We're glad that you're joining us this morning whether you're online or you're in person whatever it doesn't matter you are getting to enjoy the word of god with us and we know that this uh series If you've been fully engaged, this series has been and is going to be continually challenging for us. If you're new and you're just like joining us today and you don't really know what's going on, please, please, please get on our website. Go to the link and listen to the other three messages and kind of get caught up with where we're at because um, it's challenging and you kind of need to know where we're at right now so you can continue on with us in this journey. Our goal is that you will dig deeper into God's Word and be able to claim it for yourself. Okay, it's not this book for everyone else and not you, it's for you, it was written for you as well, all right? So here we go, as, as, as we get to into this, have you ever thought this? Any of you watching or listening ever thought this? I never really get a lot out of this book when I pick it up. It's kind of boring sometimes, it's kind of dry, I don't really fully understand it. I, I honestly wonder sometimes, what is the big deal of this ancient book? It kind of seems closed off to me. If you've ever felt that way and you watch this message, then we cannot tell you how glad we are that the Holy Spirit prompted you to join us this week because that is what we are going to talk about. We are going to look at and hopefully explain a little bit about why this book can seem a little closed off, a little distant to a lot of people and the reality that God wants desperately to open this up to you so you can start seeing things as He wants you to. To see them. The fact is, the Bible is a difficult book if you don't understand the principle that we're going to talk about today, and that's the principle of illumination. We started talking a couple weeks ago about this idea of inspiration, and we gave you seven reasons of why you can trust God's Word to be genuine, authentic. It's not a human book. It is the Word of God. In fact, it's God's words to us right and then the next week we looked at those seven ways god can change your life using his word seven ways that this book can literally change your life and this week we're going to look at the idea of illumination and what that means okay so i've got a simple little question for you how do you feel about light bulbs i brought these on purpose how many of you i don't know if you can hear it how many of you remember these the conspiracy to get rid of these, right? These are banned. As a matter of fact, I need to hurry because somebody might watch this and I might be arrested, but I bought this at Dollar General if you're still interested. Um, they still exist, right? Then we went to these. Does anyone have any use for these in life at all? I hate them, I hated them the second they came out. I don't like them, they break, they don't last, they could kill you with the mercury and stuff. Terrible, forget COVID, right? The, these bulbs could have killed us a long time ago, but we had to go to them. But now we have these. Now, I am a fan. I won't lie. I do like the LED bulbs. There's plastic. They're lightweight. They're super duper bright. And so far, there's not a huge failure rate. So they do seem to be lasting longer. I know we'll never get the 10 years right that they say on the box. Has anybody started a clock or like wrote on them to see if they actually last 10 years? I thought about doing that just to see does this really last that long? But I can tell you, I put all new ones in our new house a year ago and I've already had some go out. So clearly not going to last 10 years. The reason I bring all of this up is this. The brighter the bulb, the LEDs are so nice, the clearer you can see. Is that not true? It's so obvious. The more light, the more you can see. The more light you have, the clearer things are. Case in point, if we dim the lights right now, how many of you would have a problem seeing God's Word in front of you? Yeah, I would. I know I would. It is true when it comes to God's Word. The more light you have, the more enlightened you are, the more el- illuminated your mind is the more you're going to get out of god's word we call that illumination how does it work what is it well simply put it is allowing the holy spirit to open to show us the meaning of god's word and then how it applies to my life before jesus went back into heaven Uh, that time after the resurrection he told us i'm going to send my spirit to live with you and to live in you and one of the holy spirit's jobs one of his roles is this idea of illuminating god's word to us to help us see things in this book that we probably wouldn't ever see on our own maybe definitely wouldn't ever see on, a, on our own, and you've got to know that God wants that for you. It doesn't matter who you are. He wants to illuminate his word for you. Jesus said in John 14, 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of everything he said right here. It's in his book. It will show you all of those things. He reminds us of what Jesus did and what he said through his word. Jesus also has said in John 14, 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. This is the Holy Spirit that leads us to understand what the truth is in God's word. John 16, 15, the spirit will take from what is mine, this is Jesus talking, and make it known to you. It is the illumination of the revelation, the revealed word of God. It is God's spirit saying, hey, here's the words, now here's what it means. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 17, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. If you've got that card out or you've got your scriptures out, circle that. Let you understand. The Holy Spirit will make you wise and it will let you understand what it means to know To know God's word. So what am I saying? What does this mean? How does this all work? Well, these are great questions. This book is a supernatural book, right? It's this incredible supernatural book. And it gives us this supernatural insight. But here's the coolest part about this book. This is the only book in the entire universe that you will ever read that while you're reading it, you can talk directly to the author. Have you ever thought about that? How many of you have ever read books, and as you read those books, you're like, man, I wish I could ask the author a question here. Like, where are you going with this? What, what happened here? Why, why are you doing this? Why, is this? why is this here? Has anyone ever done that when you're reading a book before? Did you know you can do that every single time you open this book? You can talk directly to the author and ask him, what are you doing here? What are you trying to tell me? Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you challenging me in this way? It's right there for us. It's an incredible, incredible idea. He opens our eyes. He illuminates. He enlightens. How does it work? Well, Paul is giving us this information. When we are physically born, we're given these five senses, right? Seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, all of these wonderful things. He gives us these five senses. But did you know that as a follower of Christ, when you're born again, you get some new senses? How many of you remember the old 90s worship song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord? Sonic Flood was the biggest famous report. Yeah, that one. There's no eyes in your heart. What are you talking about? Well, these are your spiritual eyes. He wants to open these up for you. He wants you to see things that you could not see before. He wants you to hear things that you could not hear before. He wants you to feel things that you cannot feel without God inside of you, without the Spirit. When you're spiritually born again, when you're born into God's family, when you get acquainted with God, when you develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, He gives you this second set of senses. And all of a sudden, you begin to see things and feel things and experience things in this world differently. You see, we actually as believers live in two separate worlds. Do you realize this? There's absolutely a spiritual reality that exists alongside of this physical reality that we live in. In fact, the spiritual world created The physical world. Long before the physical world existed, the spiritual world exists, and long after this physical world as we know it comes to its demise and meets its end, the spiritual world will continue on into the future. One day everything is going to vanish here as we know it. This building will crumble. The world as we know it will end. Physical things do not last. They're temporary. But God and his angels and the spiritual world will last forever We just can't see it until God opens our eyes and allows us to see things that we would not normally see. And this is called illumination. It says that, I pray the eyes of your heart, that your spiritual eyes, will be enlightened. Paul writes, Ephesians 1, 18, 19, I also pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened, they'll be enlightened, they'll be illuminated in order that you may know the hope To which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for all of us who believe. Now, as you look around this world today, even as a believer, is that what you see? Do you see these incomparable, glorious, incredible things of God, or do you see the physical world that we're stuck in? If you just can only see the physical world that we currently exist in, then your eyes either have not been or you have closed them off to what God is attempting to show you in this life. And so hopefully today will help you open those back up. Think of it like this. When you're reading the Bible one day and suddenly all of a sudden that proverbial light bulb kicks on and you read that passage for the first time, you see it in a new light. Oh, it's that aha moment. I get it now. It makes sense to me God. Thank you, God, for showing me this information that is illumination now for some people that just doesn't happen maybe rarely maybe even never and that's so sad because that's not what god wants he wants you to have those moments daily for some people happens every once in a while and so today we're going to share with you some ideas some thoughts some ways that hopefully this can now become a regular part of your daily this is key daily reading of god's word God's Word is so much more than just this print on the paper, and so our prayer is that you're going to start reading this Word, start writing this this Bible, and as you do it, it begins to come alive to you in a brand new way, all right? So what happens? What happens when God actually opens my spiritual eyes? Well, here's here's our list. Here's our five things, if you will, for, or four things, if you will, for today, and we're going to use four simple Bible stories, some you've heard maybe You haven't heard some of them. They're actually very interesting stories, and some of them are honestly kind of funny if you think about the people involved. And then at the end, I'm going to give you five very brief, very short ways of how you can tap into this, this power, each and every time you open God's Word. All right? So here we go. One of the ways when God opens my eyes, when I see things as He wants me to see them, one of the things that does for me is it allows me to see the solution to my problems. It allows me to see the solution to my problems. The first story that we're going to look at today is an incredible one. It goes all the way back from the book, in the book of Genesis, chapter 21. Many of you are familiar with Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and their two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. God promised Abraham, you will be a great nation. You will have a son, and this great nation will be born through you. And at the age of 90, Abraham and Sarah hadn't had no son yet. And they're both a little worried about that sarah even more so this is a problem that we don't have a son yet abraham how's this all going to work out it's a big problem so sarah being of brilliant mind thought you know what i've got an idea we'll call it plan b i'm too old to have a baby abraham so here's here's the, god promised a child right so clearly god gave me the idea i'm the female so this is important why don't you take my assistant hagar And you can just sleep with her, and then she can be a surrogate, and that will be our son. And Abraham is 90 years old and says, "Mm, okay, sure, I'll do whatever my wife says, I guess. Um, And he goes right along with that. (laughs) Now, we can go into his motives if we want, but I don't really think it's pertinent to the story. Here's the reality. Hagar becomes pregnant. Hagar has a son. There's a time where Abraham comes before God and says, God, you have given me this promised son, And God looks at Abraham and goes, uh, no, I didn't. Um, That's not the promised son. That's plan B. That's Sarah's idea. That's your idea. That's not my idea. So here's the thing. I love Ishmael. Absolutely, God loves Ishmael to this very day, and he loves all of his descendants. I'm going to make him into a great nation because I promised that that would happen, but he's not the promised one. Now, many of you know, later by a miracle, Sarah does, in fact, become pregnant and has a little boy. They name him Isaac. Isaac does grow to become the father of the Jewish nation. And if you didn't know, Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. Yes, the Arab nations, the ones that were working on peace deals right now between who? Uh, Isaac and and, and his cousin. Yeah, um, yeah, working on those together. They're still at it, aren't they? But then what happens? Well, after the baby's born, was that good enough for Sarah? No. Now because there's an older one, uh, Abraham's going to favor that one. He's going to get the inheritance. So we got to eliminate these people. And, and I truly think Sarah probably did want them to die. I, I, I think I sense that vibe as she kicks them out into the desert, all alone, with really nothing to protect them or save them. She leaves them there to die. We pick up the story in Genesis 21:14. It says this, early the next morning, Abraham took some provisions, some food and some water. He gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went off on her own, it says, and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water skin was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes, and then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, because she couldn't bear to hear the child cry to death because that's where this was headed. This is one of the saddest stories of rejection in all of the world's history, as this is what man's plans came up with. But it says, God heard the boy. The angel of the Lord cried to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's cry as he lies there. Lift up the boy, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And he did, just as he promised. In verse 19, God opened her eyes, circle that word, opened her eyes, this is illumination, and she saw a well of water. She went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink and they both survived that event and she went on and Ishmael became the father of the Arabs. Here's the point, she literally had the solution to all of her problems right in front of her face. There was a well of water but she couldn't see it. Why? Because God hadn't opened her eyes yet. God had not illuminated her mind yet. God had not allowed to see because of her distress that specific well from a different perspective and there was her salvation right there in front of her. Now, the reality is, I don't know. No one knows maybe what the problems are you're going through at this moment in life. You might be facing something honestly that you just do not see any way around. You cannot find a solution. It looks like one dead end after another after another, and you need to have your mind illuminated, your eyes open. The Holy Spirit has to open and engage your mind You have to look at him through spiritual eyes so you can see the solution God has for you in his word. You've tried on your own. You've tried to solve these problems on your own, and you just can't figure it out. You've got to look at it from God's point of view. And when God opens your eyes, you'll begin to see the resources that might have been there all along, but you failed to see them. The second story. The second benefit of having your eyes spiritually opened is this. You begin to see barriers. Progress, things that seem to be holding you back, not only the solution to your problems, but the barriers, why you can't attain those solutions, or why you can't get over this issue or this problem in your life. You may have some things, and your whole life you've been wanting to accomplish them. You've wanted to start a business, start a family, get out of debt, get over some sin issue in your life. Maybe you've got some goal or some dream, and you've tried. You've tried to make progress, you've worked hard at it, you're doing all you can, but you keep bumping up against this invisible wall nothing seems to be able to get you past this point in your life well i would contend that maybe just maybe god needs to open your eyes to some reality that you're just not seeing you need your eyes illuminated there's something in your way what is it now this story i love this story and if you've never heard it then um it's a wonderful wonderful story all right from the old testament it comes from the book of numbers chapter 22 Okay? And it's about this prophet named Balaam. If you've heard this story, then humor me. If you haven't, then listen carefully because it's hilarious. Balaam was a prophet of God, but he decided to coerce with the enemy to, to work for the bad guys. God got mad. Wait a minute, Balaam, what are you doing? You're supposed to be my guide to the people. What are you doing with the enemy? So Balaam goes off on his journey to go do evil. And God says, no, you're not. I'm not going to let you. So he puts an angel in his pathway and he blocks his progress. The problem is Balaam can't see. The, the angel, it doesn't exist to him. So if you look at Numbers 22, verse 22, it says this God was furious that Balaam was going, so he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road and block his way. Balaam's donkey, the star of the story, suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with a sword drawn. Even for a donkey, he has the same reaction as every human being on the face of the earth has ever had when they encounter an angel of the most high god the donkey is scared to death because he sees this huge angel with this huge sword blocking the road and like any intelligent animal would do he runs off the road out of fear ditches it takes off along the way but balaam didn't understand what was going on so he beat the donkey gets the donkey back on the road it's funny because balaam can't see what's going on the poor donkey has to take the abuse of his owner, you'll understand the meaning behind that in a minute. There's this angel, this huge sword, the donkey smart gets off, gets out of the way, and we move on to the next scene. The second act of the same story, the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed. This is the second meeting between two walls. Once again, it's very narrow. And they couldn't easily get around, so Balaam's donkey's like, well, I'm scared of that. I'm not going to go in. So it goes as close to the wall as it possibly can to get around this angel. In the meanwhile, he crushes his master's foot. Balaam's foot gets crushed against this wall. Have you ever noticed that we do tend to get hurt when we try to do something that God doesn't want us to do? (laughs) Shocking how real that is. Balaam doesn't see what's going on. He looks at the donkey. Why did you do that? Why are you breaking my foot? What's going on here? So what's he do? Well, he beats the donkey again because it's clearly all the donkey's fault. It's not his. So there's a third scene that's recorded, the best one of all. The angel of the Lord moved farther down the road, stood in a place where they couldn't pass around on any side. This time, the donkey's getting wise to this whole thing. and The donkey's like, I right, fine, I'm going to sit down. So literally sits down with Balaam sitting on him, collapses, gives up. Balaam this time is really angry, so in a fit of rage, he beats his donkey with the staff. Now, this is a very famous scene in the scriptures where God gives the supernatural ability to allow the donkey to talk to his master (laughs) and say, hey, what are you doing? Do I normally do this? Is this how I treat you? Is this how I act? Clearly, there's something going on. Would you pay attention? We pick up the story in verse 31, then Balaam Eyes are opened, it says the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Circle that word again. It's been there all along. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with the sword drawn, politely saying, nah, you're not going this way. Turn around, forget it. What does Balaam do once his eyes are open? Well, he responds. He bows his face to the ground. He repents and he worships God. And I really hope he apologized to his donkey too. <laughs> I really do. Now, this is a strange, strange story. It's weird, but here's the point. You have plans in your life. They're not working out. You go this way, it gets blocked. You go that way, it gets blocked. You're trying to figure out what's going on. You're getting mad at everyone else around you who's had this experience in life. You're mad at everything else because things aren't going your way. You're mad at your wife. You're mad at your kids. You're beating your donkey, so to speak, right? You're talking back to your boss behind his back because things just go on and on and on. You're mad at everybody. Why? because you can't really see the problem in front of you. God is the one blocking that from you. He's trying to possibly keep you from making an enormous mistake in your life. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go down that road, no matter how hard you beat your head up against the wall. Eventually, that's going to start hurting. I would suggest quitting. I love you too much, man. I don't want this to happen to you. Now, you might eventually find a way around, and you're going to pay for it. But God doesn't want you to pay for it. He wants to stop you. When your progress is blocked, you got two choices. You can beat your donkey, or you can ask God to open up your eyes. And when God opens up our eyes, we can see the solution to our problems. We can see the barriers to our progress. I love this third story. And this is a little more rare one. You probably haven't heard a sermon, if you will, about this story. Number three, I can see the defenses for what's attacking me. This is how God is going to defend me from the things that I can't even sometimes see attacking me. The reality, all of us feel like we're under attack at different points in our life, don't we? Some of you might feel like you're under attack right now in life. You might be under attack because of this crazy COVID disease that exists. It is real, and people have and are battling it. Maybe it's something else. It's cancer. It's heart disease. Maybe you feel like you're under attack because of the economy. You've lost your job. You've lost some other form of income. You've lost your retirement. You might feel attacked by former friends, even family. You might even feel under attack by your own mind. Fear might be beating you down. You think you're all alone. And that honestly, you don't even know how God could help you. And that's if he would. Well, there's a great story from 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Elisha, not, uh, not Jah, Elisha, and the Arameans. In the Old Testament, there was this nation of Aram, and the nation of Aram loved to attack Israel. It was just one of their favorite pastimes to do, but there was a problem. Every time they would attack Israel, God would reveal the battle plans to Elisha. Elisha would take the battle plans to the king of Israel, and every single time as the Aram's army would advance against Israel, they would get their rear ends kicked. And the king of Aram is like, I don't understand what's going on. No matter what happens, I can't win. No matter what brilliant plan I come up with, it seems like they already know it. So he's bent and determined to find out who the traitor is on his team. So he, he pulls all those guys together and he says, okay, I know one of you is leaking this to somebody. Who is it? And they said, well, actually, sir, uh, Lord, um, it's not us. Oh, really? Right, whatever. No, really. Uh, the Israelites, they have this prophet named Elisha. And you see, Elisha, well, actually, Elisha knows every single thing you say, even in the privacy of your bedroom. Imagine how that would have freaked the king out. He knows the plans that you have before you tell any of us. It's not us, king. And the king goes, all right, I got a plan then. Where's he at? Let's go. We'll send our whole army. Let's just go kill this Elisha guy. (laughs) Great idea. We'll send our troops in. We'll seize Elisha. So they send the spies out. They find he's in this little Israeli city of Dothan. So they load up one night with chariots and horses, and they go to the city of Dothan to kill, to capture and, and probably kill ultimately Elisha. And that's where we pick up the story. Elisha's servant goes out that evening. It's a name named Gehazi. That's a fun name. Early the next morning, he goes out. He goes outside. And he sees the city surrounded by this army and these horses and this chariot. He runs back in. He tells Elisha, hey, uh, we got a small problem here. Uh, they're going to kill us. Look at how many people. There's all of these thousands of people, and there's you, and there's me. What on earth can we do? And Elisha calmly, coolly says, oh, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. But there's way more people on our side than theirs. Now, Elisha was an older man. This was his younger servant. I'm sure he looked at Elisha and goes, what the what's wrong with you, senile old man? Because from a human standpoint, there was no hope. There's several thousand soldiers. There's just you and me. What is he talking about? There's more on our side than theirs. Whatever. We pick up the story in verse 17. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes. There it is, circle it again. He's talking about his servant. Open his eyes that he may see. And it says, the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked out and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can you imagine his response can you imagine his surprise? This is the famous angel army made famous by who? no other than Chris Tomlin. Okay? This is the angel army that Chris Tomlin is referring to. It exists when we can't see it. Now, the rest of the story is where it gets funny because the Armenian the, the army advances toward them and Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, make them blind. So he did. So what's Elisha do? Go and hide in his house? No. No, Elisha goes, Okay, now I'm going to have some fun. So he goes out and he meets with the army, who is now blind. And he tells them, hey guys, what are you doing here? Oh, you know what? You've come the wrong way. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, The guy you're looking for, yeah, he's not here. I'll just take you to him. I'll take you to the city. Now, this is Elisha, the guy they've come to kill, telling them that they're in the wrong place and that he's not them and taking them to another city. But they're blind. They've never met him. They don't know. So what's he do? Well, he leads them to a town, an area in Samaria. What's in Samaria? Ah, The king of Israel and the Israeli army. That's all. So he takes them on this hike through the wilderness the guy they're trying to kill leading the army away from him and to the israeli army he gets there as soon as he gets there he prays once again god you know restore their sight open their eyes so that they may see and the lord did and they discovered they were in samaria and they were surrounded by the israeli army what on earth do they do well this is where the story could go one of two ways but the way that it goes is incredible, because Elisha's king, the king of Israel, shouts out to him, hey, we've got this captive army. Should we kill them all? And Elisha's like, no. We don't kill prisoners of war. That's not what we do. Instead, give them food and drink, and then send them home. So this is the king of Israel. He made this great feast for this enemy army, and he sent them home to their king. And you know what? After that, the Aramean raiders, they they stayed away from the land of Israel. (laughs) You think? I wonder why. See, sometimes the easiest way to get rid of an enemy is to turn them into a friend. So instead of killing all these men, which they could have easily done, and then making enemies for generations to come, they were nice to them. They fed them, and they sent them home. Here's the point. We all have things that are attacking us, things that we are going to panic about, things that we're going to feel so overwhelmed by. There's more working against you and against me than what we actually can see and know. So God needs to come in and he needs to open our eyes so that we can see all of the resources that we genuinely have around us, the resources he has commanded to take care of us. There are angels and we can't see them. But they're all around us all of the time, and God's forces are there to protect us. And when we begin to see things from God's point of view, we can see those defenses, and all of a sudden, our fear begins to subside. And there's one thing I want to add to the story for you. Sometimes we rely so heavily on those heavenly spiritual beings that we forget that you and I are now heavenly spiritual beings. We have the Holy Spirit within us. And someone around us might be crying out for help and you might be the spiritual force that comes in between them and that adversary, them and that enemy. Don't lose sight of who you are in Christ. He might be calling you to respond. The fourth and, and final story from this benefit many of you do know. And the benefit of being able to see with those spiritual eyes and having our mind illuminated is this. I can see how God is actually walking with me. You see, when God opens our eyes, and I see how he's kind of been with me all along, (laughs) I didn't see that before. I didn't know that was going on. I said it before, and I'll say it often. I don't know what you're going through. We don't know unless you share it with us. You may feel alone. You may feel like you're battling all these things all on your own. You don't think that God is anywhere near you at all. All I can tell you is if you are a follower of Christ, he's right with you right now. You just haven't been able to see it because your mind has not been illuminated. So the story to take you to now, as I said, it's a very famous one, and many of you have a deep knowledge of this story from Luke 24. It's the story of what happened the day that Jesus rose from the grave, the very first Easter Sunday. And a lot happened in those 72 hours of that week, and he'd been arrested. He'd been whipped, beaten, tortured, ultimately Crucified and placed in a grave. They buried him, the disciples crushed, their dreams finished. We thought this guy was a Messiah, we thought he was the Savior, the coming Messiah. Now he's dead, and they're probably going to kill us. Nobody knows what's going on, they're confused, they're at some level of dealing with grief at that point in time, and then Easter morning happens. And they get this odd report because these women go to the tomb and they find out the tomb is empty and they allegedly have these angels speaking to them saying, hey, he's risen. Really? Is he really? Because that seems a little too far-fetched, too good to be true. Is that, and we possibly believe that? So the women go back, they tell the disciples, the disciples run, and they find out, yep, the tomb's empty, there's no body, but where's this Jesus guy? Like, I don't know that I believe this. Then begin the rumors, right? Jesus meets with the women first of all, But only a few people have seen him at that point. Then over the next 40 days, Jesus makes all these appearances all over town, even to big old groups of 500 people. I want you to imagine for a moment how weird that would have been had you been a religious leader, a persecutor of Jesus. And all of a sudden, you begin to hear all these rumors that people are seeing him. And you probably even talked to someone that did see him because lots and lots and lots of people saw him. (laughs) How would you be feeling? It's no coincidence that within just a couple years, hundreds of thousands of Christians had formed in Jerusalem because there were so many eyewitnesses. It wasn't just a couple people that saw Jesus as he walked around Jerusalem for those 40 days. But on this day, the day of the resurrection, a couple of Jesus' followers were famously walking down that road to a town called Emmaus. They're getting out of town. Now, we don't know exactly their motivation. It might have been to escape, it might have been to go home, it might have been out of fear. We don't know. But we know they're grieving. And as they're walking, who shows up but Jesus? And he starts walking with them down this road, but the problem is they're in so much grief, so much sadness, that they can't even discern that that's Jesus literally standing beside them. In chapter 24, beginning in verse 15, it says, Suddenly Jesus came alongside and joined the conversation. They didn't know it was him, because God kept them from recognizing he didn't allow their minds to be illuminated right away jesus said hey you guys seem to be pretty distressed there's something going on what's happening what are you so concerned about well they're talking about the crucifixion they're talking about the death of jesus now they're talking about the potential that maybe just maybe he's alive they stopped short they were sad they couldn't really get over and then one of them says hey you got to be the only guy in jerusalem that doesn't know what we're talking about right like what's wrong with you where have you been to which jesus replies what things what are you talking about what a kidder you know, <laughs> he was the guy that was just killed. He's alive now and just, he's just, he's kind of having fun with them. His disciples said, well, all the things that happened to this man named Jesus of Nazareth. We, we thought he was a prophet. He did many wonderful things. He was a mighty, powerful teacher, highly regarded by God and the people. But, but our leading priests and, and religious leaders, they arrested him. I turned him over and, and he was crucified. We thought, we really thought, they're telling the stranger this story, we really thought that Jesus was our Messiah, our Savior, he'd come to to rescue Israel, but you know what, now he's dead. And all that happened three days ago, they continued. But today, today we heard some women, they went to the tomb, he's not there, they came back with this crazy report, his body missing, and they would seen angels and they told him that Jesus was alive, Some of our people, our very own people, went out, we went to Saul. Sure enough, he wasn't there, just like the women said. (laughs) They're confused. They haven't seen Jesus. They don't know he's walking right beside them. They don't know what to believe. So Jesus said to them, "Um, man, you guys are foolish. You find it so hard to believe that the prophet's wrote in the scriptures that this is exactly what was going to happen? They predicted, they told you the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering into this time of glory. Why don't you believe it? Jesus goes on to quote many famous passages from the writings of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the books of the prophets. And he points all of them back to himself. He says all of these scriptures are about him. He's speaking in third person at that point. A couple weeks ago, we, we alluded to this, that so many people think the Old Testament is just about the history of Israel. No, no, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus from cover to cover. The first part of the book tells you about him. It tells you about his coming. You see him in allusions and analogies and metaphors and prophecies and predictions and statements. And then in the Gospels, we get to unpack the life of Jesus. We get to see his ministry, how he cared for people, how he loved people, how he loves us. Then we read the book of Acts, and we see how this incredible thing the church was birthed and started and continued on to our very location on this very day. And then we read the letters by Paul and others to tell us, hey, here's how you live in the word. Here's how you live in Christ. But it's all about Jesus. Now, by this time, it was getting dark, and they were heading for officially home, and they didn't want to send Jesus on his way. It was only common courtesy to invite him in for dinner. It's been a long day. Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay. So they went into the house. They still don't know who he is until they all sit down to eat. And what's Jesus do? He picks up the bread. He blesses the bread, and then he breaks it. And something about that moment illuminated their minds. And instantly their eyes were opened, and they see Jesus. Their eyes were opened, and they recognize him. (laughs) Wait a minute. that's, That's probably as far as they got because then he disappeared. He vanished. There's that kidder again. Okay, you guys got it now. See ya. <laughs> I'm out. It's awesome how he does this thing. We've been telling him everything that he, he experienced. We just told him the story of him. How stupid did we possibly sound recounting his story to him? Their eyes were open. Their eyes were open. They recognize him and he disappears. How would you feel if you'd walked through life? You're doubting his existence. You don't even believe he's there, yet he's right there speaking with you, telling you the whole story and you don't even know it's him. See, that's the reality. We have this right here with us every day of our life, and we're doubting his existence. We're doubting he'll help us. We're doubting he'll walk beside us. Open the book. See that he's there. Believe it. Have your mind illuminated. Please. It's an awesome instance of illumination. In their grief, they just couldn't see that Jesus was right there. And if you've ever grieved, you've probably had that experience yourself. You've probably had that experience yourself. I don't know what you've lost, this year. Some of you have lost a loved one. I know some people watching online have lost a loved one this year. Maybe you've lost your own personal health. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost an important relationship or some big business deal, and you are still grieving, and you can't see that every step along the way, if you're a follower of Christ, He has been with you. You've never been alone. If you're a believer in God, He is with you walking. Even if you feel blind, He's there. Now I want you to understand how important this idea of illumination is and how without illumination, this really is just a book with a whole lot of words then they're really small depending on the type of font you have. It's just a good story to a lot of people. But you see, when God opens your eyes and you begin to see those solutions to your problems, you see those barriers to your progress, you see the protection that God has placed all around you and you finally see that he has been with you all along. And so the question becomes, how, Chris, how do we get that illumination in our lives? How does that exist? Well, you need to do these five simple, simple things. These five simple things. you got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so He's allowed to enlighten you. He won't force Himself upon you. And the first one is brutally obvious. You have to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is is the starting point if you do not have this one you will remain spiritually blind all of your days you do not have any hope of ever seeing things from god's point of view you have to establish this connection first you can't just know about jesus thousands of years scholars have studied about the man jesus but they do not believe you have to know him you have to have a personal relationship with him. You have to follow his lead and do what he said. You must be born again. You have to be saved. You've got to accept the gift of salvation, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. And until you begin that relationship, you will be blind. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but you will only see things from a human point of view. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the spirit, the man that has not been born again, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Underline that. You cannot, it's not possible for you to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is why it is complete nonsense for those of us that are believers to expect unbelievers to act like believers. They can't do it. They can make, we can make all the laws in the world, but people aren't going to act that way because it's the right thing to do. They don't know the right thing to do. It doesn't make sense. My eyes were blinded until I had a connection with God and so were yours. Paul writes in 2 corinthians 4 4 the devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe they cannot see the light of the good news they just can't see it none of us could until we stepped across that line and the blinders came off and jesus says in john 3 3 i tell you the truth no one can see the kingdom of god until he is born again so if you do not have that relationship Yet, then I implore, I beg of you to begin that relationship today so your eyes can be opened. The second thing, this is all, everybody passed that. I have to ask God in faith to open my eyes. I've brought him in. Now I'm saying, God, open my eyes. Our memory verse from two weeks ago, 119, 18 of Psalms. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your word. Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your word. Did you memorize that? Have you committed that to memory? Every time you sit down to open this book, will you say those words out loud to God? God, as I opened this book, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things therein. It is a wonderful book filled with wonder-filled things. But when you don't see them, it's not the Bible's fault. <laughs> it's ours. It's because for whatever reason, on that day at that time, we are not open to it. We are blind in that moment. You can't see those things. Maybe our eyes have never been opened. Maybe there's a barrier in the way. We'll talk about that here in a second. It takes more than just the revelation. We need the illumination to understand the revelation. And anybody can remember that simple, simple verse. I'm going to say it again. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your work. Recite that, repeat that out loud to God and mean it every time you open the good book. You have to be willing to do that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. If we ask God to do these things, it doesn't even make a little bit of sense for him not to. He wants to. He's waiting for us to ask. Number three, I come with a humble attitude. You see, if I come to God and I say, God, you know what, I got it all figured out. I really don't need your help or advice about this marriage issue or this financial issue or this thing. But hey, God, I'm going to read your book anyway. So hey, what you got for me? Well, you know what you're going to get out of that? Absolutely nothing. Because you've already said you don't need it. And so he's like, all right, you don't need it? Fine, your eyes will be closed. We must come with a humble heart. Probably David wrote in Psalm 25, 9, he, God, guides, that's what we need, guidance, the humble. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way proverbs 3 5 and 6 you've heard this before trust in the lord not yourself with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding what you want to do or what you thought you ought to do in all your ways all your ways acknowledge him yes in your sexual ways in your marriage in your financial ways in your business ways in your career ways in your family ways acknowledge him and when you do he will make your paths straight he will point you in a path towards success. It's success defined by him, not the world. Number four, cleanse your heart of sin and of conflict. You see, I can't get my mind, my eyes open if my body is full of sin and filth. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You can't see it, until you're pure in heart. All of these verses that so many of you have read so many times, you probably never realized what they were really talking about. We think, oh, I'll be able to see the kingdom of God. Heaven. No. No, you'll be able to see the kingdom of God when your eyes are open, when your mind is illuminated, when you come before God with a pure heart. Now, pure doesn't mean perfect. You see, if God only illuminated the minds of the perfect people, <laughs> it would never happen because no one is perfect. So, pure doesn't mean that. Pure means I'm caught up in my confession with God. There are no barriers between me and God. There's nothing between us. God, I agree I was wrong. That was sin. I apologize. I'm going to confess. I'm going the other direction. I don't allow garbage to pile up in my life. I allow God, His Spirit, to cleanse me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The second half of that is that idea of conflict. First John 2.11, John writes, whoever hates his brother is in darkness and he walks around in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. You want to know why you don't have a clue what's happening in your life, why you don't know where you're going? Well, it just might be because you have some unresolved conflict somewhere within your existence with another person. Whoever hates his brother is stumbling around, wondering in darkness, and he doesn't know where he's going because that difficulty, that conflict, maybe even that hatred has blinded them. It means if my relationships are in a mess, I'm probably not going to get a lot out of this book when I pick it up to read it. If I have a big argument, fight with somebody in my family, and then I sit down and say, hey God, what do you need from me today? What, what are you going to teach me in your word? God God's going to say, uh, before we get to that, would you go huh, over here? God, I need you to teach me from my word, but uh, I got this relational conflict. He wants you to resolve that first. The Bible is very clear that we cannot be right with God and wrong with others. We can't be reconciled to God and not be reconciled with others. That's why the Bible specifically says if you come to worship on a Sunday morning and you bring your offering and you've got something between you and a brother, God says leave, go away, get out of worship, go find them, make things right, then come back and continue worship because you cannot worship God when you're in conflict with somebody else. So if you really want your mind to be open, if you really want to see the solution to your problems, the barriers to progress, the defense that God is providing all around you, the fact that God is with you, then this afternoon you might need to send a text, make a phone call, write a letter, whatever it is. You may need to ask for forgiveness from somebody. You may need to forgive somebody. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Ask God to open your eyes. Come to him with a humble heart. Come to him cleansed of the sin and things that happen and conflict in our lives. And the final one, number five, might be the hardest commit in advance commit in advance to do what god says this is unqualified unconditional obedience it's you saying okay god i'm ready to sit down here i need you to teach me what i need to do this week how i need to respond or interact with my kids with my wife with my family with my business i'm telling you in advance that i am going to do what you want me to do even if it doesn't make sense even if I don't understand it, even if I don't agree, even if it isn't, it isn't popular, even when it isn't easy, I say yes before you even tell me what to do. Psalm 119, 33, teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees and I will keep them. You see the promise up front? I will keep them. You, you teach me, God, and I'm going to keep them no matter what those promises are. You teach me, I'll do it give me understanding, I'll keep your law, I'll obey it with all of my heart. Whatever you show me, I'm going to do it. Why? Why? Because action is the bottom line. Now, I don't think if I had a meeting after church today and I said, hey, I need all of you to come and here's all I need you to do before you come, I need you to just say, yep, I'm in. Whatever that meeting is about, I'm just going to do it. Yep, I'm committed, I'm just going to do it. I don't think any of you would show up to that meeting. This is a meeting. Every time you open this book, you're meeting. With God your Father. And if you don't pick up this book going, God, whatever you teach me today, whatever I see in here today, God, whatever you're telling me to do in here today, I'm going to do it. You say, oh, oh God, what do you want to share with me? Oh, that's good. Okay, I'll think about that, God. Thank you. Um, and you move on. <laughs> this book just became very useless. You, you commit to God, before you open this book, God, whatever you reveal to me, when you come to church on Sunday morning, God, whatever I hear from this stage, whatever is sung this morning, whatever is prayed this morning, God, I, I commit to absorbing that right into my life and following you. Do you do that? Or is there always a, if I want to, if I'm okay with it, if it's good, if it's whatever? God's not going to give you step two until you act on step one. Today's memory verse for next week is James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word, And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And you have to commit to doing what it says before you read it. Because you might just read it and not like what it says. God doesn't want that out for you. He's sharing that with you for a reason. And he wants you to commit to it. Guys, this isn't easy stuff. And it's long. And there's a lot of it. But oh my goodness, is it rich? Is it beautiful, the word of God, or what? Will you live it? Will you breathe it? Will it be who you are? Are. it will change everything about your existence on this planet. Father God, as we close this time of proclamation of your word, I, I just pray but well, Father, it isn't overwhelming in an information sense, but Father, it's overwhelming in a spiritual sense. As we realize the power of your word, we realize that we've been taking this book way too lightly for way too long. Uh, maybe some of us like me as a kid, uh, man, we love bringing our Bibles to, to VBS, we got prizes, we got stickers, we got candy but we never opened it up. (laughs) We never bothered to fully apply what we've learned. Maybe some of us in the room have been coming to church, some of us watching online, have been listening to the sermons our whole life, and we might remember to bring our Bible some Sundays, but that's the last time we see it all week. We've set it aside because it's not this living, breathing, personal thing. Father, we open every day and we go, God, what can you teach me today? Father, open my eyes and let me see the wonderful things in your word. Father God, Begin to open us, the people of Berea, the people that you've brought here together in person and online. Let us be people of the word who open your word daily and allow our eyes to be open to see what's there. Let us commit in advance to do what you ask us to do. When we read that word, when we hear that message, when we're challenged, let us just agree in advance that, yes, God, this is who we know you're teaching me this for a reason. Father, help me to become who you want me to become. Help me to live out your word in this world. There's that famous, famous old saying, I might be the only Jesus that anyone ever sees. How on earth can I be Jesus to someone if I myself don't know who he is? Father God, we love you. We thank you for your time this morning with us. In Jesus' name we pray.